Thanks, you can be seated. If you're new here, my name's Britt, and everybody's welcome here. Doesn't matter where you're coming from, uh, you're welcome because nobody's perfect. Not the pastor, that's for sure. Ask some of my friends and family, and anything is possible uh, because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, before I get started, I just want to like talk to guys, okay? So wives, don't elbow your husband on this if he's sitting next to you, but you know, we got men's retreat coming up next weekend, and I know like some of you guys, you say, you know, retreat's not my thing. Can I let you in on a secret? Retreats aren't my thing either. That's the truth. But I'll tell you why I go. I go because I get to meet, meet a few more dudes. And, you know, I've been to so many retreats, men's retreats in particular, and I couldn't tell you the messages. I couldn't even tell you the messages that I've done at men's retreats. But what I do remember is because they're in front of me all the time is the relationships that I develop. So if you're a guy, you're kind of on the edge of whether you're going to, not on the edge like you're about to go cray-cray, but like you're just on the edge of whether you're going to go or not. I just want to like give you a little prompt there. Go meet a few dudes. And uh, those guys are out at the table. Also, if you're new here, we have welcome brunch right after this service. I love meeting the new people at our church and just getting to know your story and telling you a little bit about who Sunridge is. So consider those things. I want to tell you, like, um, this past summer, my family had an epic vacation. This is one of those vacations where we've been planning for over a year. And uh, uh, you, you have, if, unless you're at this phase of your life where your adult children are married, they have jobs, they have their own kids, they have their thing going on, you can't imagine how hard it is to get everybody together at the same time to agree on where you want to go, and it's like, it's just a miracle that that happened. And so we had this epic thing. We went to Kauai, Kauai, my favorite island, and uh, all throughout the year, we're just chattering about it, constantly, hey, man, Kauai's coming up 12 months out, you know, and they're like, here's where we're staying. Look at this place. It's pimp, you know, and, you know, like, oh, we're going to surf. We're going to go snorkeling. Blah. It just went on and on. Everybody's pumped, and then we went. And folks, it rained. It rained, not like Hawaii rain. I've been to Hawaii. Don't tell me that story. I know it rains in Hawaii, but the sun comes out. But man, this was like, it's the end of the world. It rained and rained and rained. Such a bummer. So we, we snorkeled in the rain. We surfed in the rain. We hiked in the rain. We jacuzzied in the rain. And what made it worse was all of you were taking, everyone got on this program. We're going to Hawaii. You went to different islands, and you posted all your awesome pictures of how, what, how the sun was out and everything. We didn't post pictures. It was like, it was depressing, man. People would kill themselves over this vacation. You guys had an awesome vacation. Good for you. And I know, like, if I can conjure up a little sympathy, I know that's a first world problem. I went to Kauai, and it rained. That's so horrible. Uh, we made the most of it, but it just made me think, you know, how often we have this expectation of something and then it doesn't turn out. And, uh, you know, we have different versions of that. Maybe, maybe your, your plan wasn't Kauai, but, you know, you, you know, you dreamed about meeting this perfect person. And then you met them, and they were perfect. And, and you're going to get married, and you're going to have this perfect marriage. And it's not perfect. And then, you know, like along with that perfect marriage, you were going to have these perfect children. All the parents are giggling, all the people that are without child, you know, like, well, I'm going to raise my kids, they're going to be perfect. That's okay. 
we'll, we'll deal with you. But, um, and then, you know, perfect marriage, perfect kids, perfect family. You were going to go to the perfect college. And then you got there, and it was like there were problems there, too. You're going to, uh, you know, you got the perfect job. Finally, you got this career, and it's like, you know, they had problems there, too. You joined a perfect church like Sunridge, and you found out we're not perfect either. It's like we have these expectations, and they're, they're all smaller versions of the big story, right? Like the world was supposed to be a certain way, and it's not like that. And so that's why we're doing this series, uh, following our history of us, to talk, this series called Made Whole, which what we're doing is, is looking at what does Christianity say about the way the world is supposed to be, and then can we discover together why it isn't the way it's supposed to be, and yet find the hope, if there's hope, Christianity offers any hope, what is that hope, the hope of the gospel that Jesus Christ is reconciling and healing all things. That's what this series is about. But today I want to talk about how things were supposed to be. So your first thought is this in your notes. God's original design and creation was a world that was whole. Whole. I didn't use the word perfect. Maybe for some of you, your theological tradition tells you like the world's perfect. But I don't see that in the scripture. And I'm not really here to argue it. But I would say that it's whole, and, the, and you're going to see why as we go through this series, in, in particular today, but Genesis gives us an account of how the world that was in its original design was whole, and I just want to go through that as a reminder for those of you that are already familiar, and maybe if you've never heard kind of a Christian perspective of how the world is supposed to be, that's, you know, I'm going to reveal that to you today, and this is I'm going to be in Genesis 1. I'm going to put all the verses up here. And this is from the New Living Translation, in case yours doesn't line up. In Genesis 1, 2, the earth was empty, a formless mass cloaked in darkness, and the Spirit of God was hovering over its surface. So the Bible says that in its origins, the earth was like full of potential, but it wasn't organized. And then on day 1, God said, let there be light, in verse 3 of Genesis 1, and there was light, and God saw that it was good. And then on day 2, the continents were separated, and the atmosphere from the sea, and in verse 10, God saw that it was good. And then on day 3, the plants burst forth, in verse 12, the land was filled with seed-bearing plants and trees, and their seeds produced plants and trees of like kind, and God saw that it was good. And then on day four, the stars and the sun and the moon and the seasons are all created. And in verse 18, God saw that it was good. Then on day five, the waters swarm with aquatic life. The skies are full of birds. And in verse 21, God saw that it was good. And then on day six, the land is inhabited by all sorts of animals, domestic and wild, all with the capacity to reproduce. And in verse 25, God saw that it was good. And then in verse 26, God said, let us make people in our, in our image. And so the first people, Adam and Eve, are assigned as caretakers of the planet. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, we have even more detail about the creation of human beings. As, as the animals are named, there's no suitable companion found for Adam. And in Genesis 2:22, the Lord God made a woman from the rib and brought her to Adam. 
And at last, Adam exclaimed. And in the Hebrew, that is translated hubba hubba. <laughs> and then there is a unique union between Adam and Eve. Adam says, she, you're bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In verse 25, now, although Adam and his wife were both naked, neither of them felt any shame. And so God places the first man and the first woman in this lush garden to tend it. And then God looked over all he had made in verse 31 of chapter 1, and he saw that it was excellent in every way, and your translation might say very good. Good here is fair and pleasant, um, pleasing, and at the end of it all, God says this is very pleasant. It is very fair. It is very pleasing. And then on day 7, chapter 2, verse 2, on the seventh day, having finished his task, God rested from all of his work. So let's just summarize, and this is in your notes. It's not fill in the blank, but I just wanted to lay it out, what this world was like in its original design. We have an uncontaminated environment. There's inherent value of human life and that God, God made man and woman in his image. There's between those human beings, Adam and Eve, there's ideal companionship. And they experience oneness, not just between themselves, but with creation. They're one with creation and one with God. And they have meaningful vocation. And along with that, they have gratifying rest. And they have clear moral boundaries for their own protection. And there's just like these concepts or values that come through in this original design. There's security in this environment. There's peace, there's justice, and there's trust. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Genesis says, um, the creation of the heavens and the earth and everything in them was completed. Completed means it's finished, obviously, right? It's, it's fully and finally completed. It was as it should be. The world was as it was designed to be. It was whole. But is that the world that you and I live in? How many of you want to live in that world? I do. But that's not the world we see. Unless you've been living in a mayonnaise jar somewhere, um, you know that we don't live in an uncontaminated environment. You know that uh, one of the most defining values of our day is not human value. You know that just by your own experience that on occasion in your marriage and with others, you don't experience ideal companionship. You struggle. We don't have oneness, do we? Do we have complete and unmarred oneness in our in our relationship with one another, with God, and with, our, with the creation that we're surrounded by? Do we have meaningful vocation? I mean, how many people, don't raise your hand, but are, you're, you're kind of slogging away in a thing that you don't love. And along with that, what makes it worse is, you, you know, do you have gratifying rest or are you anxious at night? You see, the world we, we live in stands in stark contrast to the, God's original design. If you read your Bible, you see that the changes that are catalyzed by the fall of early man, of Adam and Eve, are immediate and dramatic. 
And next week, we're going to talk more about like how far-reaching those consequences are and what we experience today. But when I was preparing for this message a couple of months ago, I was going to install a medicine cabinet. So I went over to one of the uh, local home centers and I bought a cabinet and uh, I got it you know, to the place I was going to put it in. And when I opened the box, it was dented. And, you know, the box really didn't show that it was dented. There was like a little crinkle in the box. But, and it, what was interesting about the dent is that it, it wasn't so obvious at first. I mean, like I have construction experience. I have, I have man skills, okay? And yet I was looking at this thing after I got it all out of the box and I, you know, I was measuring the size opening so I could cut the drywall. And I'm like, this is, it's different. What's different? It's like it's wider here than it is here. Is it like at an angle? It's like, and then it's like, it kind of dawned on me. Maybe I put my readers on so I can see better. But um, it had a dent in it. And I thought, that's kind of like us. All of us are dented. We're dented because we can track our dentedness, just made up a word, all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. And we may try to cover it up with a box, you know, our outward appearance and the way we behave. And, you know, like we have lots of ways of compensating for that, that, that people really don't see the depth of our dents, right? And what's really interesting is like maybe a commentary on like how far these consequences go in our brokenness. But many of us have come to accept that dentedness as normal. You know, because I didn't want to, like, I wanted this project to be over, I almost installed this cabinet the way it was, dented. And I thought, Cindy will never know. <laughs> because it's like, like, we just learned to live with it like that. You know, what Christianity does, if, if you're if you're new to faith or maybe you're just exploring faith, right? Christianity shows us our dents. And, you know, it, it causes us to look honestly at those dents and to see how it happened and the consequences of all of that. And yet it doesn't leave us in this fatalistic kind of position it, it shows us how to restore ourselves. And the cross, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is so central to understanding how our dents have alienated us, ourselves from one another, from God, and from creation. And this is one of the things that is unique about Christianity, is that it acknowledges that we're dented, but it provides hope in the restoration and reconciliation of the gospel. You see, the whole gospel is the good news of reconciliation and wholeness that Jesus brings to all things. That's a lot in one sentence. But let me break it down. Maybe, maybe you're unfamiliar with this phrase, whole gospel. What's, what's the difference? between a whole gospel and a partial gospel, or maybe in a false gospel. We'll talk more about that 
next week as well. But like, you know, often reductions of, of something is helpful to us. Uh, if you're trying to say something in a pithy way or, you know, your Twitter feed, you've got to reduce your thoughts into like this simple thought if you're in, on social media or something. Uh, if you want to make a great marsala sauce, you have to reduce that sauce down, right? Reductions can be helpful, and they can even be helpful in explaining the gospel in a simple way. But in the end, I think the gospel really needs to be expanded upon, not just reduced, so that we understand the full implications of what it means. So that's why I'm using the phrase whole gospel. And you'll, you'll hear that more as we talk about being made whole in this series, and we'll, we'll re-explain it each time. You see, when we reduce the gospel down to a place where it is only about my eternal destination, then we've reduced it to a point where I think we, like we've taken the power out of it. See, Jesus saves us from more than just the theory of sin. By that, what I mean is, oftentimes, our, our perspective of sin is this, this thing that's way out here. And there's this list of God, God's rules. He has these rules, and somehow I've broken them. I'm, I'm aware of some of those rules that I've broken. And, and yet what I need to do with this theory is I need to say a specific prayer. And then that kind of like erases the bad column. That's what, that's what I'm talking about when I think about the theory of sin. And so like once I do that, now, now, now I just go on with my life. I got that all finished. But... Sin is much bigger than that. Sin has consequences that we don't even realize. You're going to see that as we continue in the series. Sin has real consequences that are affecting all of us, not just you, not just the drug addict on the corner, but your pastor as well. And not just in, in like ways that you can see all the time. Sin has consequences for the, the way life turns out. I would encourage you, if you haven't done it in a while, or if you've never done it, to read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel, chapters 5 through 7. Now, I call it Jesus against bad religion. That's kind of my, if I were writing a Bible, that's the title that I would put over it, not the Sermon on the Mount. Because in it, he's, he's, he's showing us, his listeners then, like all the consequences of the brokenness that they've experienced because of sin. It's like he's saying, just look at yourselves. Just stop and look at yourselves. Your religion, it's all messed up. You're, you're thinking that these things are the most important, but I, you have heard it said, but I'm turning that entirely upside down. He's saying, just, just look at yourselves, you know, you're eaten up by anxiety and worry. You say that you believe in me, but you're so anxious. Just look at yourselves. You, you look at people as objects for your own lust, uh, as someone that can be thrown away at a whim. I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. People are just objects to you. Just look at yourselves. Just look at yourselves how you've You've drawn this line between your relationship with God and your relationship with people, and I'm telling you that there is no line. Don't come and worship me 
before you square that away. Just look at yourselves. Your perspective even of love is misshapen. You you think love is the fulfillment of your lust. You think love is something that's transactional. I'll love you if you love me back. He says, look at at yourselves. Look at your... The, the way you view your moral behavior. It's like to you, it's, it's like a, a, a checklist of things that you do for other people's sake. These good things that you do, you give and you pray, but you do them all for performance. You do them all to get other people's acceptance and likely God's acceptance. And just look at yourselves. When you're doing that, that has created in you a, a, a sense of superiority over others and you judge people constantly. Just look at what you've become. You see, the consequences of sin are viral. They're affecting all of us in ways we don't even recognize. We are dented, and yet we think a dented medicine cabinet is the norm. Sin's consequences are viral, but thank God, so is God's grace, because Jesus didn't just save us from sin. He saved us to life as it was supposed to be. In John 10.10, Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Many of you are familiar with that statement by Jesus, but full here, full life, uh, obviously can mean abundant. Some of your translations say that. It means overflowing, without lack. It can even mean excessive. I haven't just come to give you this life that is separated. I've erased a list of sins for you. I've come to give you a life that is whole because something has been stolen from you. The evil one has taken away from you the life that you were designed to live. And now you're living a different life than you were designed to live. One of, the, one of the beautiful examples of this uh, to me is in John's gospel when uh, Jesus is in Jerusalem and there's this place there where people who uh, are invalid or have physical ailments, they congregate and they're hoping for people to come by and give to them or to touch them or they're hoping for a miracle at the stirring of the pool of waters that's by there. But it's the place where everyone gathers to find sympathy and hopefully a little bit of charity. And when Jesus sees him, I love how the King James Version uh, describes this. He asks him, um, do you want to be made whole? And you know, if you have other translations, it might say made well, but um, deep inside the meaning of this phrase is more than just physical healing. And this this physical healing that Jesus does is is a great picture of what it means to be born again from sin. To be made right with God, it's like, that's the equivalent of being made physically whole. Do you want to be made whole is what Jesus says. But you think, if you just like think about it for a while, this man experienced many other problems than just a physical ailment. In fact, they came from his physical ailments, which were so obvious, but many others that came from that aren't so obvious. 
kind of emotional damage had been done in his life? What, what scars did he have emotionally from the isolation that he faced at this time? Or the, the rejection by his culture to be cast away as, a, as like trash? Or even to be ridiculed at times? He has to be suffering from that as well because of his physical ailment. Think about the spiritual uh, healing that he really needs. I mean, how misshapen is his, his concept of God when he lives in a culture that says, this thing that's wrong with you, it's because God judged you, because you did something wrong. This is the culture of that time, the worldview. It's like, this is wrong with you. You sinned, or your parents sinned, and, and this is a judgment that God brought on you because of that. How crazy is that is that going to affect your relationship with God? And then, of course, the way we put it today, what about all the psychological consequences? You see, there's an original issue that is taken care of by the gospel, but there are other issues associated with it. How, what does it mean, then, to be saved to a full life, to, to embrace the whole gospel? Well, I think identifying the problem accurately helps us get to the solution. You see, wholeness begins with the restoration of our relationship with God, just like this man's physical healing. It starts there. In Romans 5.1, Paul wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. In the Old Testament, you know, the word often used is shalom which means peace or harmony. It can also mean wholeness. And you know, that Christianity's perspective on what's wrong with the world today, the root problem is that our relationship with God is broken. Paul says, we now, because of our faith in Christ, we have peace with God. And see, the perspective of Christianity is so unique. It, it says that all the problems of the world can be traced back to this alienation that we feel between us and God that goes back to the fall of Adam and Eve. And when that happened, their relationship with God is broken, but all these other consequences come forward. They're broken between one another and they're broken in their sense of oneness with creation. You've heard the phrase patient zero. Patient zero is like the first human being who presents with an illness. The, the epidemi epidemiological cause, uh, the initial human that had the disease. Adam and Eve were patient zero for an illness that all of us are infected with. Sin. And that is separate us. It separates us from God. And the cross strikes at the root of that problem. But then there's other work to do. Once my relationship with God is restored, there, there's other work to be done, to make wholeness a reality 
in my life. You think about like, uh, there's parallels here with like different illnesses and everything. There's like an initial illness and then there's like all these secondary issues that present because of that. If, if you've had cancer, well, you had, you had cancer, but then they, they gave you chemo or radiation and they, they, they killed the cancer, they rid you of cancer, or they put it in remission. But there's all these other health issues, the lowering of your immunization, your I- immune system, and there's all these other effects. There's like the fear factor that you live with for the rest of your life once you've had cancer. It's common with uh, you know, folks that have had it. Uh, you think about an eating disorder. When someone has an eating disorder, you know, we may put them in the hospital and control that and force them to eat. And so that's resolved. But there's all these other things that come with that, the psychology of it and our emotional damage, all are part of that, or even ongoing physical problems because of that initial problem. Think about alcoholism or drug abuse. You know, we can lock you up and and use drugs to get you off of that drug or like prevent you from having access to alcohol or drugs. And now you're free, it's out of your system. But there's all these other things that go with it. That's kind of the equivalent here of what it means to be made whole by the gospel. It starts with reassociating ourselves through what Christ did on the cross with Jesus. I mean with with God the Father. See, when our relationship with God is restored, we're not only freed from the penalty of sin, but we're also freed from the consequences of sin. Christianity says that our deepest longings and our biggest problems stem from this one place. Our longing to be accepted by God. We're separated by God, separated from God by our sin. And when we recognize that the initial step of coming in faith to God and having our sins forgiven is the first step in being made whole, that's a game changer. See, when I fully realize, fully realize that God loves me unconditionally, that he loves me so much that He demonstrated this by having his son give his life. When I grasp that, and it it, it has nothing to do with what I can do for God. It has nothing to do with the last decision that I made or what I did last week. When I fully understand the grace of God, it frees me from many other things that are the secondary issues of not being whole. See, once I understand that God loves me unconditionally, I'm free. I'm free to accept others and love them unconditionally because I, know, I don't have to control them anymore. My, my ego is out of that relationship because I no longer need them to accept me. God accepts me just as I am. When I, when I understand that God loves me unconditionally, I don't have to protect myself in an argument. I don't have to win in order for me to feel satisfied in that conflict with my wife or someone that I love or someone at my church or someone that works next to me in the the next cubicle. And the things that I've been hurt by, I don't have to hold on to that any longer because God has forgiven me, right? 
when I understand that God loves me unconditionally, I'm, I'm free to enjoy my success. I'm free for that success and the ambition that I have to have meaningful purpose under the lordship of Jesus. When I, when, I, when I know that God loves me unconditionally, I don't have to fear people or things that I don't understand. When I know that God loves me unconditionally, I know, that eliminates envy and jealousy, things that are driving so many people today. They have it better than me, or you, you had a sunny vacation in Hawaii, and I didn't. That's probably the only place it really doesn't apply fully, but <laughs> I don't, it's like God loves me, so like my status in life is not dependent upon what is happening in your life. If God loves me unconditionally, then I don't have to prejudge people. I don't have to put them in categories, or I can accept a culture or a person or someone who's entirely different than me. I, that's not my job. It's like God loves me, and I don't need that person to be on my program. You see, all the things that are broken in the world and all the people that are broken, you and me, that brokenness, that lack of wholeness, can be traced back to our, our complete, comprehensive understanding of God's incredible love for us and the implications of that in our everyday life. If we're free. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you're a Christian, you're saying, well, you know, Britt, I've been a Christian a long time and I'm not living that. Or if you're not a Christian, you're probably saying, you know, Hey, Britt, I know what you just said. That sounds really lofty and everything, but, you know, I know a lot of Christians, and I don't see it. So what's the deal? This is kind of like my closing thought. The deal is this. What we know in our head hasn't made it the 18 inches to our heart. It's as simple as that. You see, our wholeness, as I've said before, begins with the acknowledgement that is here that my relationship with God is broken. And I step out in faith, and on the basis of what Jesus said, what the Bible says, that relationship is made whole. There's no barrier between me and God. So wholeness begins with that initial acknowledgement but living whole is a learned behavior. Let me show you this. For, uh, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 1.14, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Now what Peter simply says here, he's talking to Christians. He's saying, you, you believe, but you're still being influenced by the way you used to think. And this word evil desire, it's like it's not really doing it justice. You, we, we think, you know, like, oh, I'm still trying to sin and all the bad things. You know, I have all these other sins. It's like, it's much bigger than that. It's a desire that is not necessarily evil. It could be a good desire. It's any desire taken beyond its capacity that overtakes us. So it can be good things, too. And he says, you're still living in your old way of thinking. That's why I say that it's a learned behavior for us. 
One of the things that we're looking at in this series of Made Whole is what does it really mean to be made whole by the gospel? Not just, I got my sins scratched off, but like, how do I need to be made whole in everyday life with people that I live with and, and live in society with? And the accompanying study with that when helping hurts is all about us really looking at those things that are affecting us. And as we move forward, um, to move forward in a way that doesn't allow our brokenness to perpetuate it, even though we're trying to help. Do you guys know what the phrase kinesthetic sense means? Anybody? PE major or whatever. Kinesthetic sense is like muscle memory. You have muscle memory. There are things that you learn how to do that when you first learn them, they're, they're very conscious for you. You watch a baby trying to walk and just standing up and taking the next step. They are... They, there's like thinking about every little move, so much concentration. You and I walk around, and it's like normal for us. You're not thinking about it. Um, when Cindy and I first got married, I worked for um, a home builder, and, uh, you know, a hammer in my hand became an extension of my body. When I first started working for him, I used to peck, you know, like, kek, kek, kek. some of you hammer like that. That's not hammering. You know, and by the time I was done with him, like, I could hammer, like, from any position. I was like a pro hammer. It's like, you could put me in any little tight situation. I could whack it when it's down here, but I could get in a little tight situation, never miss the nail. It's like, that became something I learned. What about throwing a ball? The first time you throw a ball, you see a little kid, they're, they're struggling. And now some of you, you know, you don't even think about it. There's so many things that we do. Washing the dishes. You know, like, you don't even think about, like, the, the hand-eye coordination that it takes to do that. These are all muscle memory things that we learn. There's also soul memory. This is how the gospel affects us in everyday life. We have, when, when we become Christians, we start to relearn how to live and how to think and how to respond. And at first it takes so much concentration, right? What's the Bible verse for that? How should I do that? And like eventually though, what happens is you develop a soul memory and you start living your life the way it was supposed to be lived. And you're free from that old way. But a lot of us are still learning, right? So this series made whole, what I hope you do is you stick with us. Because we're going to talk about in more tangible terms as we go forward, how how broken we are. But the, be the beautiful thing and, and the great hope of the Christian is like how whole we can be. So if you just, like, you're without hope and you think, you know, I could never change this part of me, I'm, be here. If you can't be here, listen to us online because this, is, this can be life-changing for you. And it goes beyond us. You know, if... If the gospel makes us whole, if a whole gospel makes us whole, think about the world. What opportunity do we have with all the problems, the big, big problems that are going on in the world? Who, should, who most should be talking about these things? Who most should be talking about race? Who, who can help marriages? Who can, who can address an economy that's fair for everybody. 
Who can heal the broken relationships that we have in our culture today? Even our religions. How much is brokenness affecting our religion? That's what we're going to be talking about. In church, we have a great opportunity not only to allow God to change us from the inside out and make us whole, but we have a tremendous opportunity to be the voice in this time, in this age, to bring the gospel to bear to the big things that our world is struggling with. We have the answer. Let's pray.